Hey, brother. Hello, brother. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 3 of Match Wits. I'm your host, Steve, alongside my younger brother, Chris. That's me. If you're new to Match Wits, which, again, Chris and I were talking, this is we're like 40-some, 44 episodes in, so always looking for new listeners. So if you're new, uh, my brother and I were separated by about seven years uh, and uh, have different views on things, so we go toe-to-toe or talk about a bunch of different topics, um, ranging from pop culture to movies to music or just what have you. Uh, if we happen to disagree on anything, which, again, we haven't really done, but this one might be the one, uh, mm. we'll do a dimwit challenge, uh, which is just well, whoever's right gets a dollar uh, from the other person. I'm $6 in the hole to Chris. Yep. So uh, with us being 44 episodes in, um, you know, we're, we've covered a lot of ground. We've, you know, we've got that's a lot of hours worth of uh, uh, content out there. Um, so this episode, I want to talk about a couple things. Um, you know, typically we start off with me talking a little bit of nostalgia, waxing nostalgic, um, and then we'll go into some pop culture stuff. So uh, for this episode, we're actually going to touch on stuff that we covered in two previous podcasts. We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk about reboots and remakes, which we talked back in season six, episode ten. We called that Mulligans, um, and then we're going to talk about Kevin Smith, which we covered him in, at length as a as a writer, director, filmmaker in season. Episode 24. Um, and the reason why I wanted to cover this is, you know, within the last week, week and a half, um, my, my daughter Meyer is 15. Uh, she had to do a project for school, which necessitated getting, like, uh, I think it was for psychology and, and childhood development. Uh, she had to get all these pictures from like when she was a baby all the way through to now so it made me go out and go through the extensive archive of digital photos we have that go back 15 years um and i was in the process of taking all those i've been scanning pictures and everything and then moving them out to uh into the cloud so they're backed up forever in case something catastrophic happens so that that alone makes you nostalgic you think about how fast 15 years goes by um and then uh, I started recently then going into videos as well. And I had early on, and Chris, I don't know if you had this with, with Brody, um, early on, like, really took a lot of video. We got a lot of videos from probably the first year, year and a half of having, you know, having Maya and Charlie. And then it dropped off significantly. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, completely. I have probably, I think I have a terabyte hard drive full of pictures and videos from, like, the first two years. And then, like, I just recently, like, went through my phone and cleared everything out. I think I have, like, 15 photos left on my phone. Like, I just, <laughs> right. just hard reboot, like, just put it all up into the cloud, just kind of, and then backed up on a hard drive just to save it. But, like, I found we have literally the very first actual steps brody took i have on video so like we've oh, been nice. e- we set up an email address for him when he was born and we've just been slowly like sending him pictures and stories and stuff and then before he leaves for college we're going to give him the password to it so he can go back and he can like read through all like 18 years of messages that we've been sending him and then he has like an archive of like all of his photos and funny stories from when he was a kid and all that stuff so we read it you really, you really do that yeah I don't do it nearly as much as Aaron. I think I'm only, only sent him. Brilliant idea. Yeah, we found it somewhere online that someone did it, and then like the girl went away to school, and she was really depressed like the first weekend, and she went and she read all of the old messages from her mom and her dad, and all the stories about her growing up and stuff like that. And we're like, wow, that's a really good idea. Aaron's done it way more than I have. I've only done it maybe four, four or five times, and it's usually like landmark stuff, like stuff that I'm super. Mm super excited for like i sent him his first baseball hit and then like when he runs off the field he comes running over to me and i have the camera still on he goes dad i hit the crap out of that one and, I just started <laughs> and then like the first time he was like he fell asleep with the giant oversized hobs that i have i took a picture of that and then just kind of wrote a story about you know how much calvin and Hobbes meant to me and i hope that he appreciates it as much as i do when he gets older and stuff just so like if something ever happened to me at least he has you know, messages from me, knows who I am, knows anything, you know. It's just, it, it helps rather than try to save all these photos and make sure that he can get them at some point in time or hope that photo albums survive floods or catastrophic weather events and things like that. Like, that's how to be in Google, as long as Google's around and it doesn't seem like they're going anywhere anytime soon. So. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, as long as you, like, occasionally, like, log in or whatever, because... Um, Clean out the spam? 
Well, no. Oh, yeah. And I don't know what their policy is. Like, if somebody doesn't log in for like a year, do they delete that account or whatever? Because I had that happen with that. I had Kid Rock at Yahoo.com. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to use it for like, you know, there was a, I can't remember what it was, like when, when instant messaging was real big, like you could instant message on Yahoo and AOL and everything. And it used to auto log me into Yahoo. And like I would, like the chat requests that I would get and people that would hit me up thinking I was the real Kid Rock was hilarious. And then I went back. I didn't touch it for a couple years. I went back. And I was like, oh, man, I probably could sell that email address. And it was gone. Yep. Yahoo took it back because it was, I hadn't logged in for a while. I'm sure. I'm sure. But yeah, that's what's every once in a while. It's just like for landmark events, like big things in his, in his development. Brilliant. And we send I'm it to him. I'm kind of bummed I didn't come up with that. That's a really good idea. I can't do it now. Mine's 15. Like she's yeah, going to be leaving for college in three, three years, three years. When you sent me that picture, when you sent it to Jen and I, when you sent the message first for some reason, like the picture didn't come through for like, I think the message came through and I was like, oh boy, what the hell happened? And then the picture of the college applications came through and I was like, holy crap, we're, we're getting old. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so that is like that, that's rocking the needle on the nostalgia. So first of all, I've been doing, you know, genealogy, looking at our Polish family, right. Going back as far as we can and, and finding some cool stuff out there. We talked about this in the last pod. Then I'm going through the immediate stuff, which is getting, you know, getting all of the photos up to the cloud. And now today I'm working on the videos. I found this video of, um, it was a trip to the Outer Banks that we did when Maya was like, it was before Charlie was born. So Maya was like eight months old. <laughs> it was our first trip to the Outer Banks. We went with mom and dad. The ruse were there before the ruse had kids. <laughs> um, and you look like 15 years goes by in a, in a second. But we have a video. And it's one of those things, like, again, I don't take videos like this, but I was like literally everywhere on that vacation. I had the camera out because it was yeah, an yeah. actual device because it was like pre-smartphones. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, it's probably so, an actual camera. <laughs> it was a Sony Mini DV camera, and you know it's got great, great, some great footage of our mom on there, and it's got Maya being real little, and Vince when he was like ten or eleven. So really, really, really cool. And it's just it's amazing how 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 fast time flies by. So that leads me to a, like kind of the topic I wanted to touch on today, which is kind of is a couple of things, right? So. Uh, as we talked uh, and uh, kicked this off, you know, uh, I, I think both of us pretty big Kevin Smith fans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just kind of what he's done, uh, how he started with that small film Clerks, and how he, you know, kind of went all over, and you know, the impact he's had just on Hollywood, and, and the fact that he kind of approaches filmmaking as a fan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's just a fan of movies, and he's great. He's extremely gracious, particularly now since he's had a heart attack. But he gets to be able to make movies. Um, he's really into like make a movie, make a little bit of money, and then put it back in and just kind of reinvest in, in, into his craft. Um, so after he had a heart attack, which I think was a couple of years ago, right? It was like 2016, 2017. Yeah. Uh, he, he damn near died, right? He's way, way overweight and yeah. he had what was what you know referred to as a widowmaker heart attack after coming off stage. And he was lucky he didn't die. So. Yeah. He went through and made this movie called Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Um, and I watched it uh, Friday night. It finally came out on video. But one of the things he's been doing with this movie, and, I, and, and now that I've seen the movie, I wish I would have done the full experience. So he, he basically took this movie that he made, which was um, really kind of a culmination of his career, right? Clerks was 25 years ago. Wow. Right. So imagine time going by fast. So Clerks was and, – and the 25th anniversary was, I think, last year, right? So um, that's a long that's a long time ago, and that was like the beginning of his career to now. So he has like everybody from the View Askew universe and everything in this, in this movie. But what he did is he – it didn't have this massive theatrical release. Kevin Smith's not for everybody, particularly his – the kind of the stuff that's – really him like is that it, it the kind of his view askew universe if you will um that's not for the masses right no that's no, for, not at all that's for the comic book men crew like his tv show and, and all that so what he did is and, and i think was really cool is he made this movie and then he took it on a tour like mm-hmm. imagine you're doing like a spoken word tour him and jason muse and his, his his daughter and like part of the cast they took it and they showed it uh, 
like in Alamo draft houses and whatever throughout the country. And they did like a Q and a after they made it this full experience. And, and then ultimately they, they released it on video. So a probably good money maker for them, right? People will pay a little bit of a premium or you get sell merch and all that. But I think after seeing the movie and how it ended, that was the that was the perfect vehicle for them to take this, which is to me was an extremely nostalgic film, uh, out to an audience of, for lack of a better word, fan fanboys and girls, right? People that are really into Kevin Smith are the ones that are going to go pay money to go to a, a boutique uh, theater and and watch the movie and then also have a Q and A after it. Yeah, agreed. And and people always bash Kevin Smith for not being. Well, not necessarily being a sellout or whatever, but it, it's one of those things like, yeah, he's not for everybody. He's for people like us. He's for weirdos that grew up on comics and, and metal and and weird indie horror films and things like that. So I, I never apologize. People are like, ew, you like Kevin Smith? Yeah, you're damn right I do. He's not for everybody. This goes back to the, the Guilty Pleasure episode that we did. I don't think you should ever apologize for what you like. Everybody likes different things like out of all the oscar contenders i haven't seen many of them this year but you know what i have seen i've seen ready or not which i absolutely loved i saw knives out which i absolutely loved because i like that kind of stuff i don't want to watch marriage story i don't want to watch adam driver and scarlett johansson mull over the 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 mortality of their marriage and and all of that like i don't need that i don't want to watch a movie noah Baumbach, the guy that wrote that had the right i think he wrote madagascar 3 to pay for his divorce i don't i don't want to watch stuff like that i only have i only have a small amount of time during the day i have a five-year-old kid and a full-time job like those are things that take my priority first so when i sit down at the end of the day when i have a few hours to myself the last thing i want to do is watch a moratorium on relationships or mortality or horrible things that have happened in the past i want to be entertained for two hours and kevin smith for me does that because he's a bigger nerd if not bigger than i am he has the same affinity towards comic books and esoteric weird horror films and things like that like i don't need everything to be oscar worthy i've always said that steve i think i've said it literally on every single podcast we've ever <laughs> done much not everything has to be schindler's list or the pns not everything has to be revolutionary cinema all i want right. to do is be entertained yep so this has and I, i'm going to try not to spoil oh, i don't a care lot about of it for you what i don't care i don't care about spoilers all right. so but you're, I, I think there, there's parts of this you're going to like there's one there's, there's a weird thing at the end and you can see um you can see where they had to kind of rewrite after Stan Lee died. Um, but, and I only read after kind of going through and, and, and gathering some facts about the, the movie and everything that Stan Lee was going to have a bigger part in it. And he ultimately passed away. Sure. Um, the, the, the thing is it, it, it has a lot of like, there's, there's some juicy moments in it from a, from a fan perspective, right? There is the Brody Bruce, right? Jason Lee has got a great, monologue like diatribe about remakes versus reboots which is really funny considering that this is kind of a remake a reboot and a sequel all together right so i thought that was i thought that was kind of cool uh so we'll, we'll get to that in a second there's there and there's this there's this scene um and and did i play this on the podcast i might have the holden thing yes yeah where he yeah. thought it was he it, it and Ben Affleck was like literally waiting for him to ask him to come back and revisit the character and then wrote a scene specifically for it that fit organically in the film and made it better. Yeah, you played the whole the whole clip. Yeah, yeah. So and, and that might have been the Kevin Smith episode, right? So I, that was a story he told on the podcast. That scene in the movie is dynamite. I, I can't imagine that movie without that scene. It is. It's probably the best thing Kevin Smith put on film good like and, that's that's all i want and it's but it's and it's pure kevin smith because it's all dialogue yeah that's all of his movies are like the when he he can't really do action very well like <laughs> right. it's uh, like you watch cop out like it, cop out's not a good film and like the action sequences are definitely directed by someone that doesn't really get action i mean he gets them don't get me wrong like kevin right. smith is a talented filmmaker but he is all the reason Clerks succeeded is because of the dialogue that he wrote, and he gets yep. the way average dudes working at a video store and a and a quick mart 
would talk to each other about the the ridiculous idea of do you think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a, to- a toilet main like the half the people that they killed when they blew up the second death star were contractors brought in like <laughs> That's not a mainstream concept. That is for fanboys who, when they're at their dead-end jobs or are miserable, can pass the time and talk about these things because they've watched it so much and they've poured over this movie so many times that those are the those are the weird random bits of trivia that they focus on and i'm okay with that not everybody is the academy's definitely not i i but i don't fall into that category i fall into make the stuff that you like people will find it eventually and do what you like and you'll you'll never work like that's why he backed out of what was it green hornet because he 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 even said he was like i should never have a budget over 10 million dollars ever like he's like (laughs) i shouldn't he was like because all of my movies are dialogue and 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 conversation driven versus spectacle so yep and yeah and the and the people in this movie like it's just great to see all the cameos and again for me it's nostalgia like 20 like watching the way that whole thing like, like just the way the whole thing evolved like Matt Damon is in it like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are like there are like my age your age I mean they're yeah. they're they're older right and they they started this whole thing just like Kevin Smith did in, in the 20s just young filmmakers and they did and, you know and they went on to be like you know some of the Hollywood's like, biggest stars between Damon and Affleck right yeah um, so that that is good the, the, the Matt Damon comes back as Loki <laughs> and he pretty much everybody wants to know if Loki died I'm going to totally ruin this movie for you Come on. Um, comes back and says wh- whether or not Loki dies and he's like I don't know I blacked out and I woke up in the middle of the ocean <laughs> 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 and he's like you could say I was born again that's very funny. That's the Jason Bourne joke. That's um, so that's in there. Uh, Molly Shannon's in there, um, and they make a. I mean, Kevin Smith pokes fun at himself throughout this whole movie, right? So it it, it kind of pick, give you a little bit of the plot. So it picks up. They, they lose their. They, they can't refer to themselves as Jay and Silent Bob because <laughs> they're going to reboot Blunt Man and Chronic, and the the movie studio has both the rights to their. Um, to Bluntman and Chronic, but also to their secret identities, James and <laughs> Bob. So it kind of follows the the path of the movie, James and Bob Strike Back, where they were trying to get the movie, stop the movie from being made. Right. So this is a, they're going to start to stop the reboot from being made. So they're going to Chronic Con, um, and it's a, across the, you know, across the country type of thing. So, but they go to the airport, and Molly Shannon's like the, taking the reservations, and they're trying to buy a ticket. And she's like, I'm sorry, we have a weight problem. And remember, Kevin Smith got thrown off a plane because he was too big. Because he was too fat. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And now he's like 180 pounds. Yeah. And, and they're like, excuse me? <laughs> and they, she turns the screen around and it says, weight, colon, problem. Like, there's, there's a problem with the program. <laughs> but so there's all these digs, and and they're like, oh, and Kevin Smith's making this reboot. And they're like, oh, that guy, he sucks because he made, what was the cop movie? Um, not cop, cop out. Cop out. He's like the guy who made cop out. So they're they're poking fun at Kevin Smith, and then they start referring to him as Kevin James, <laughs> which I think happens a lot. Everybody <laughs> thinks he's Kevin James. So there's a lot of that, like inside humor and and all that. It just and it's again, it's like a road movie, right? They go across country and they stop along the way at all these different stops. So, you know, Shannon Elizabeth's in it, and um, Rosario Dawson's in it. Like they're they're like everybody from every movie that you would recognize is in it. Dante's that's, in it. Like they start at the they they start at the quick stop. Like, that's what I want. And, like, all yeah. of those references aren't for mainstream audiences, Steve. Like, even yeah. that weight, the weight problem joke, like, that's going to miss everybody that didn't know <laughs> what happened to Kevin Smith. Like, I'm okay with that. I don't need everything to be for everybody. As, as hipster as it sounds, like, once things start getting really, really popular, I kind of lose interest. When I can have conversations with people that have never watched a comic book movie ever and are trying to tell me what I know about the Avengers and Iron Man and stuff, I kind of look at them like, dude, back off. I've been reading comics for 35 <laughs> years for as long as I can remember reading comics. Just because it's popular now doesn't mean it always was. Like, I was made... Patrick and I were made fun of for reading comics and, and drawing cartoons and all that stuff. Just because it's cool now. Like, growing up, Steve, like, video games weren't cool. 
Like they they're cool now because you can literally play things professionally for a living. But growing up, <laughs> we were yeah. yeah, we were the weirdos that would go home and play Nintendo. Like we're the kids that I would go home and read Calvin and Hobbes and read comics rather than like we played sports, but we weren't gifted athletes. Like we were never no. the fast. We were never the fastest <laughs> or the strongest or anything. Like so, like I always liked what I liked, and now what I grew up loving is now mainstream with the Marvel universe and all of that. But it wasn't at the time. And now it's almost to the point, the same thing we talked about with the the star Wars fandom, like it's too popular now and everybody has an opinion on it rather than just the nerds that's that sought it out in the first place. So I'm okay with all of those inside in, inside baseball jokes in, in Kevin or Jay and Silent Bob strike or a uh, reboot. I'm okay with that because I like stuff that are hat tips to me personally as a consumer. Like, I'm the guy that went and saw Kevin Smith do that an evening with Kevin Smith twice. I've been to Secret Stash up in Red Bank. I have. You bought me an autographed Chasing Amy and Clerk scripts. Like, who else has that? Like, I have a whole extensive, like, library of, like, books and things like that. And one of my prized possessions is an autographed Clerks and Chasing Amy script. Like that, that stuff's for me and I'm okay with that. Like, I don't need it to be, I don't need everything to be commercially successful. I don't think boss office is the ultimate end all be all of a movie success. I I don't, because if you look all, we were talking about remakes and stuff, all of these movies, like at the time were critically destroyed. You think about probably the greatest remake of all time, which is John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. Like did terrible at the box office. Like everybody thought, ah, oh, it's just a stupid splatter fest and like blah blah blah. And it's still talked about to this day, forty years later. So critics and box office don't get to determine what has lasting impact. Only the fans do. Right. And and with and with the shift in Hollywood, where it, it's not just about getting on the big screen in a theater. It's about you know anybody can make a movie. Mm-hmm. You can get funding. You can do it. And 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 just, and just like in, in any form of art. Now, Nowadays, there's this long tail where there didn't used to be a long tail before, right? It was just a, the major movie houses, the major record labels, they controlled everything. Yeah. And then everything else was indie, yep. right? Now there's that, that continuum that goes from like there's a blurred line and you can go out and make a living and you can, and it's okay to make a movie that's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right, I think it's it's more accepted. You're like, hey, I know what my audience is. I know what I can do, and I'm just going to service a subset of the audience, which is I think Kevin Smith did a great job because he ends he ends it at a comic con. That's why I said that that whole they're all in there at like a QA session and everything. They 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 run into it. They like they bump into a clerk's panel, and everybody's in black and white, which is pretty funny. <laughs> all the, the, the characters are in black and white, but everybody else is in color, which is pretty right. funny. That's pretty funny. Um, so they just they just do a, they just do a lot of that. It's really it's 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 really cool. Like I said, it is it uh you know is is it going to win at the Sundance Film Festival? No, is it? You know what I mean? I think like it's not going to win, but it doesn't have to. Like for no. me, it was a it was a perfect piece of nostalgia. That and some of the jokes, like I I laughed like. And, and again, some jokes like the Jason Bourne joke or the weight problem joke or, or some of the others were just, I thought were really, really good. And not everybody's going to get them. I'm sure there's jokes in there that I completely missed. Sure. Sure. Um, so but that's it was, okay. It, it's okay to not, like, that's, that's one of the things. Steve, you were entertained for two hours. You got to do a nostalgic trip with people that you didn't necessarily personally grow up with, but you watched his entire career develop. You followed him along. You've, you've been a fan for 25 years. So that was a love letter to you and not to anybody else, not to my wife, to our wives, not to our kids, not to, you know, even some of our friends, it's directed towards us. And, and for, for you to spend the money to watch it, I'm, I'm sure it it lands with him. He probably appreciates it. He still gets to make, these little esoteric conversation fest about, you know, the inane things that he thinks about when he watches these movies. And that's, that's the point. The big, big budget blockbusters and major movie studios are in the entire paradigm has shifted now. Right. Now it's smaller scale stuff. And now it's streaming services and now it's Netflix and Amazon prime and Hulu and all of those ones where Paramount and Fox has to sell, you know what I mean? Like Fox had to sell its entire movie studio to Disney because the mouse now owns everything. So if you're not, <laughs> right. if you're not going through Disney, there's a chance you're not going to get a 200, $250 million budget, but that's okay because some of the best movies that I've seen recently 
have had like $40 million budgets, which sounds like a lot, but when you think of how much Endgame spent, like Endgame was a fantastic movie, but the budget for the filming alone was like $200 million, (laughs) plus the the marketing budget was another, you know, whatever, $150 million. So you're talking about half a billion dollars, and yeah, it made $2 billion globally, but... I'm okay with, you know, ready or not being whatever it was, a, a $15, $20 million picture that completely enthralled me and kept me entertained for two hours to the point where I've told anybody that ever texts me like, hey, my wife and I are sitting down to watch something tonight. What should we watch? And I just gave them a list. And I was like, but if you want to know my personal recommendation, watch ready or not. And they're like, well, what is it? I was like, don't. Like, if you trust me as a movie fan, as as, a, <laughs> as anything, like, I don't throw those kind of things around lightly. So if you trust me, just go and watch it with a clean slate, and I guarantee you'll be entertained for two hours. And I got a text this morning from my friend Tiska. He was just, they were looking for something that they're going through some family stuff. And so he was like, I just want something to take my mind off of everything that's going on for two hours. And it has to at least keep me entertained. I was like, watch Ready or Not. He was like, okay. He was like, it's either that or Jojo Rabbit. Either one of those you can't go wrong with. Like, talk, Taika Watiti making a weird m- movie set in Germany where the kid's imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler is that that sounds ridiculous in concept but everyone said it's one of the most touching like anti-bullying anti-hate movies that you've ever seen that's what I prefer to watch rather than the stupid Irishman I still haven't watched that garbage and I and I won't I've, I watched the first like half hour and the de-aging of De Niro and Pesci is is distracting and no, I and really. I and I don't need that. Steve, there was a whole guy, this guy did this side-by-side comparison of what the movie itself did through the de-aging and what he could do on his like crappy laptop with just a plug-in through Adobe After Effects. And what he was able to do looks 20 times better than what they spent $60 million to do in The Irishman. So don't, don't get the Academy and expect me to think that everything that they say is sacrosanct. Like, it's just not one of those things that I'm going to listen to to what you have to say about anything because some of the stuff that got nominated shouldn't have been nominated some of the stuff that didn't get nominated should like the old right. white men are white old, the old white men are holding on to the academy for as long as they can and it shows in the nominations so don't tell me that that's the end all be all of what is uh, uh, the parameters of making a quality film i don't i don't believe that so find what you like and don't apologize for it right yeah and <laughs> So and there is a uh, like I said, there's a lot of good there's a lot of good cameos in there that again I don't think everybody would appreciate. Uh, Method Man and Red Man are in, are in there, right? And yep. there's a whole like there's a lot of there's a lot of weed jokes or a lot of I'm weed sure. uh, stuff in here, right? Kevin Smith found uh, marijuana late in life. Um, that's mm-hmm. a big part of what he talks about in his spoken word and everything. And oh, and his daughter's in the movie. His wife's in the movie. I mean, he made this movie right as a like he wanted to work with you know him and Jason to work together again yep. and wanted an opportunity for them all to work together. Right. I mean, when you have a when you when you damn near die, it changes your perspective pretty big time. Right. Sure. And if it doesn't, you're a shallow, vapid human being for him. (laughs) And he even talked about one of the interviews that this wasn't he didn't necessarily even make this for the fans. He said he actually kind of made this as a thank you to all the actors that he ever worked with that took the time and and played parts in his small little stupid movies. He was like, this is my way of saying thank you. Like I almost died. And I would have never gotten to say thank you to Ben Affleck or Matt Damon or any of those people that appeared in his early films. Yeah, exactly. Like, and for him to be able to say thank you that way is 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 heartfelt, and especially for people who's followed his career as closely as we have. So, yeah, Joy Lauren Adams is in it. I mean, like everybody you would think of is in it, and they come in at the right parts, and you have this awe, or you have this whatever. You're like, oh, it's good to see them again, and mm-hmm. and it feels comfortable. It's like you know, it's like some, it's like I don't know, it's like going home or something. Like it's it's got there's a comfort to it. Like it all fits. Like the 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 people are right back in character. Like you know, Affleck is. Holden and um, <laughs> Joy Lauren Adams as uh, Amy. No, it wasn't Amy. Amy was the story that uh, yeah, Bob yeah. told. She was uh, um, finger cuffs. What the hell was Amy? <laughs> no, was it <laughs> uh, Chandler? No. Um, Hold on, I can just look it up. Yeah, I don't know what we talking about. Was it Chandler? Yeah, 
anyways but the, all those they all they all come in at the right times and there's just there's a lot of cool stuff like there's a court scene where Craig Robertson's the judge and Joe the, the who's the um married to the woman from Modern Family Joe Mangiagello the guy from Pittsburgh yeah he's the bailiff <laughs> oh my god hilarious like they banter about Power Rangers like <laughs> uh, Alyssa Alyssa Jones Alyssa Jones yeah yeah well I'm something Chandler Jones for some reason um but yeah, I mean, just this little, like little things, like you know. Um, and I don't know where. I guess was Joe in any of the other movies that Mangiello? Mangi, I can't pronounce his name. No, Mangiello. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, Mangiello or whatever his yeah, name is. I know. Any, I know. Who he, any of the other Kevin Smith movies? I just, I was like, why is he in this? But it was pretty funny. And Craig Robertson, like, yeah, as the judge, was pretty funny. He may have been in like. James Silent Bob Strike Back or whatever that one is oh, maybe yeah. just like a cameo in that one but nothing <laughs> unless he was in like Yoga Hosers and I missed them or something but oh he might have been yeah you know I haven't seen a couple of the recent ones or Tusk um, Tusk see, wasn't bad it wasn't bad it wasn't good it's a little weird it's a very body horror movie and it's hard like Justin Long I love Justin Long as a comedic actor but when he tries to do like serious roles it kind of throws me off a little bit but that the guy that played yeah, he's in it too. Uh, yeah, the guy that played uh, the the leader of the cult in Red State, I think his name's like Michael Paré. Yeah, he he was also the sheriff in uh, Kill Bill and stuff. He plays he plays the guy that captures Justin Long's character and slowly turns him into a walrus. And he's really good in it, but it's just it's supposed to be scarier than it was. And he tries to like when he interjects his trademark humor into it, it kind of takes away from some of the scary parts of it. So, but I mean, it's it's still good. Like it's right. entertaining, and it's starting to get a little bit more of a, a cult following, which I guess all of his movies tend to after a while. Yeah. But that's all that really matters. Like I always try to judge the the worth of a film by its lasting impact. You know what I mean? Like if it, mm. if forty years later, if you're still talking about it, regardless of how it did at the box office or how many awards it won, as long as it still sticks with you, that's all that matters. This art that lasts for a long time is 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 important, and it's not necessarily monetarily. You can't you can't quantify it with money, right? But mm, yeah, I and, know. and I mean, there's a couple like there's a couple of jokes that just come to mind, like Jason Muse is giving advice to. Um, um, the main character was, was Kevin Smith's real daughter in real life who plays J- Jason Musa's daughter in the movie um, is uh, God kind of looks like Alanis Morissette yeah. some of his advice <laughs> so it's like all those little things and they, they talk and, and the fact that Dog was locked up in a vault somewhere like I would love I guess I'm going to have to go download that um you can always turn. You could always turn to the internet to get old like Pirate Bay or find some kind of yeah, torrent site. So download it. I mean, I, you know, there's this. There's there's some good writing. There's some good acting in that one. I mean, come on, Alan Rickman is in it. Um, yeah. Who yeah. am I? The girl in the PJ. Serve your purpose. <laughs> I love Alan Rickman. Um, so on a side, not not necessarily a tangent, but like kind of a side. Uh, thing aside Ali, have you actually seen pictures of ethan stumpley recently oh my god yes he wasn't he wasn't in it at least not to my knowledge dude you might not even recognize him he lost like what 200 pounds or something and is now like a shredded animal yeah and he looks like he looks like he could be in the wwe yep that's exactly right i saw a picture pop up and i was like oh this is one of those clickbait ones as soon as i click on it he's gonna lose like maybe 25 pounds then you see him and you're like holy f yeah. yeah, that dude is a shredded animal, and like, good for him. Like he said, over the course of his life, he's probably gained and lost over a thousand pounds. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because he was like four hundred pounds in mall rats, and like he was a big dude then. And but now he's just he's yeah. And like, Kevin yeah. Smith looks. I mean, he is small. Like, yeah, he looks tiny. It all it's distracting too because his entire young career we were just used to the kind of fat portly dude with the beard and now you see him and his face kind of like goes in at the bottom rather than just round at the yeah. top. So it looks like the younger version of himself, but right. good for him. I mean, I, the widowmaker would do that to anybody. Yeah, of course. So. He's a vegan, you know, his daughter's a vegan. She's like, you need to do this, you need to you know, just change your life. So Yeah. 
It's good. So, anyways, what, what I wanted to talk about, I don't want to necessarily go through an exhaust. We did this back in, uh, what did we say it was, episode 10 of season 6, where we went through remakes and who were right. But th- there's, a, there's a thing, like a discussion topic, um, and, and Jason Lee's take on it, or uh, Brody Bruce's take on it in the movie is really good. Um, but it's the idea between a, a, a reboot and a remake. Like, if, what to you, what's the difference between rebooting something versus remaking something? If the story beats don't change at all? Like, I guess when you reboot something, it's kind of just taking the same story beats and modernizing it versus a straight... Well, it's the same thing. I, don't, I think they're interchangeable terms. I don't necessarily think one is opposite of the other you know what i mean like they're all kind of the same like the the thing isn't necessarily a reboot of the thing from another world but it is a remake but the remake of the thing was a remake do you know what i mean steve like when they redid the the one and they tried to tell the story of the john carpenter's the thing they tried to tell the story before the dog showed up at the american base like that felt more like a reboot to try to get modern audiences interested in the old version rather than john carpenter's version being a remake of the 1954 i forget who directed right the thing from another world so they're not necessarily mutually exclusive i think you can use those terms for the same thing like True Grit. True Grit was like literally a, almost a direct remake of the original. It's just modernized it with people that modern audiences would recognize. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah, the, yeah. I feel like the Psycho know, remake, wasn't it? Gus Van Zandt did the... The, the shot by shot. Yeah, it's Gus Van Zandt. Psycho. That's a remake, right? <laughs> to me, uh, a reboot is... You like particularly when you have something that has more than one movie, right? Where you kind of go back to the beginning and start in a different direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like they did it with Spider-Man, right? They've done it with Batman. They've done it with Superman, right? We've had multiple stories. Everybody knows the Batman stories, but they took the Tim Burton Batman and let it be its thing. But then when they, when, uh, was it Christopher Nolan did the mm-hmm. Batman Begins and all that, really took it, same story under the covers in a different direction. Yeah, exactly. The right. showing the actual training of Batman versus just and, and Tim Burton's he already existed. Yeah. Like he was he was already working for an extended period of time. Where in Christopher Nolan they wanted to show the training and where he went and what happened mm-hmm. to him and why he became the person that he was. Which to me, I, I prefer Batman Begins to the nineteen eighty nine Tim Burton one. But that doesn't make the 1989 one bad right it's just different it's it's tim burton's version of a batman comic where batman begins is the christopher nolan version of the batman comic and 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 rinse repeat keep going forward and but they're just different iterations of the same characters so it's just the director and writer's interpretation of the existing source material and just kind of taking and doing their own spin on it so That's why I'm curious, this, the new one coming out called The Batman with Matt Reeves, the guy that did Planet of the Apes and stuff like that, with Robert Pattinson as a younger Bruce Wayne. I'm genuinely curious to see what they're going to do and how it's going to separate itself from all of those other Batman movies that have existed. I don't. The problem with Nolan's one is it, it kick-started the whole gritty realism of DC, which I think DC is suffering from. I think DC has it tonally correct when they with their tv shows their tv shows are kind of campy really fun and and not necessarily so grounded in reality that it it takes the fun out of them like as much as i enjoyed man of steel as much as i enjoyed like watching that like it just didn't feel like a super like a superman movie to me because it was bleak and it was angry and it was angsty like that's one of the things that I dislike immensely about Superman is he's the big blue boy scout. It's he always does the correct thing, which is always funny for when I explain that to people, because I love captain America who literally is the Marvel equivalent of the big blue boy scout. But you miss fun. I, that's 
when Scorsese came out and railed against superhero movies and said that it's basically like amusement park rides, like we talked about this last episode. Right. Yeah, amusement parks exist because they're fun and they're awesome <laughs> and they and they give right. you an escape from the crushing reality of what the world is like today. Like it right. gives me a full day where I can go and act like a child again for eight to ten hours and not have to worry about a new coronavirus coming and killing everybody or <laughs> Australia being on fire or you know, our president being impeached. I don't need that stuff. I don't need my my superhero movies to remind me of collateral damage in big battle sequences. I don't need to think about a person being crushed by Wayne Tower when Superman got accidentally thrown through it. I don't need that. I don't I want <laughs> right. I want to see people punch each other through the air and stuff. And, and I right. don't need to know about the collateral damage and the, the people's lives who were ruined because they were too close to these buildings. Like, right. no thanks. <laughs> right, right. We don't, yeah, you don't need to see that. No. Um, speaking of which, so, so slight, slight tangent into DC, but related back to the reboot. So um, when, they re, when they're rebooting Bluntman and Chronic, they change Chronic from Jason Mewes as a to a female character <laughs> and it's played by the woman who plays uh supergirl Super okay woman, right there. melissa melissa benoit yeah so she is she is and and, and then blunt man is val kilmer <laughs> <laughs> how did how did val look oh uh, not good yeah he's he's had some pretty serious health issues and that's why i'm kind of like he's in the new top gun movie and they just they haven't shown him at all which definitely leads me because yeah. i saw i saw he was at like a convention or something and he he looked very sick well, he, he had looked very cancer sick. and then yeah. he had i think he put on a bunch of weight like it's, it's sad but anyways he was i thought that i was like oh my god it's val kilmer it's hilarious mm -hmm. um the uh, oh so so this is the way Again, that's right or wrong, but I thought this this was an interesting perspective, right? This is the way Brody Bruce described a a reboot being a they change just enough of the movie so that you'll pay to watch it again. Yeah. They change just enough of the original versus a remake, which is they don't give a shit and they ruin both movies in the process. Sure, that makes so, sense. So, but I think in reality is like. We've we've seen reboots and and like they rebooted. I think like, and, and to me, it's any time where you go like, all right, we watch this story pay, play out over a couple of movies, and then all of a sudden we're going to go back like Spider Man. We're gonna we've seen that. We even seen the origin story a couple of times, right? And and you do it, and you're just like, okay, these are just different interpretations of the same story. It's a reboot. We're going to go back to the beginning of the chronology, and we're going to bring it forward. That's to me. That's kind of a, a reboot, and then you sure. get the, the remakes. And I'm probably a less a fan of the, some of the remakes. Um, I know I don't know if I guess. By and large, the majority of remakes usually aren't nearly the quality. I don't like remakes of good movies. Like, don't remake the thing. The thing right. exists in a perfect vacuum of where it should have been with Rob Bott and special effects. Like, just don't remake it. Like, you don't need to. They're talking about remaking Jaws, Steve. Yeah, I can't do that. You can't. You There's can't. Things that should be like untouchable, but you know. And and, and then again, the back to the. Uh, and you should watch it. Like I'm gonna ruin the whole thing for you, but no, but, I'll watch it. But Jason Lee goes on, and he's like, if they don't start making original material, they're gonna run out of things to reboot. Like yeah. <laughs> there's so many reboots and remakes in Hollywood that nobody's going to be able to go back. And if nobody puts out anything original, which I thought was pretty funny. Well, see, Steve, you hit on the, the basis of my ready or not agenda. Like that is an original idea. Knives Out was an original concept. Yeah, it's slightly based on Agatha Christie's, you know, Hercules mm -hmm. Pinwa, the, the detective character. But it's an original it's an original idea. And that's why it feels fresh and it doesn't feel like you're just copying and pasting what worked in other movies and making something that is just going to be easily digestible for fans like i like being challenged as a fan but i'm an outlier so most of the people that go see you know the sixth frozen or whatever it's going to be are, are aren't the people that like the weirder stuff but those are also the people that aren't going the like, movie theaters are dying regardless of whether you're catering to the the masses or you're making independent interesting films like the the entire system is changing so yeah isn't that sorry didn't i just see online like the big one of the big boutique movie houses and theaters in philly just 
Yeah, the Ritz, the Borst, the Ritz Borst. It's been like it's existed since like 1967 or something mm-hmm. like that, and it's one of the ones that gets all the weirder smaller films instead of like they do all like the different screenings they do like like 25th anniversary screenings and all that stuff but yeah it's it's closing and it's heartbreaking to see it go too right it's but people people suck and ruin everything so they're ruining this too (laughs) (laughs) all right so if again this is not perfect right and and but i was just kind of curious your opinion like something like I Am Legend is that a reboot or a remake like so that's different Steve it's based on a book can't really be a remake or a reboot because the the literature has existed for so long you know what I mean like wasn't there a uh, but wasn't there a similar similar concepts to I Am Legend that were there's three. There's yeah. there's Omega Man, which I think is the Charlton Heston one. Yeah. There's the last the last man on Earth, which is the Vincent Price one, and then there's the Will Smith one. But but because the source material was a book, I don't. It, they're just adaptations. They're right. not necessarily rebooting it because the book still exists. You know what I mean? Like if anybody's interested to find where they got the ideas for these movies, they can just read the book, yeah, yeah. and then you get different interpretations of it. But that's what I mean. Like we we talked about, I have legend before, Steve, and like the whole concept of the book in the new one was changed. The of whole course. idea, the name itself, I am legend, is Robert Neville coming to the or coming to the realization that he's the monster that lurks in the shadows. Like the new, the paradigm had shifted to on the planet from humans to whatever they refer to them. Like they're technically vampires, but I don't think they ever refer to them as so the end of the book and the end of the, I think it's the Omega man. He realizes he's the monster that goes out and hunts these now new norms. So he's the legend. He's the nightmare that these things warn their kids about that. He's the monster that sneaks in and murders them while they're sleeping, which is the entire point of the, the title. I am legend. Because I am the the, the boogeyman that right. everything has changed from. So when you watch the Will Smith one, which the first hour, I still think is some of my favorite apocalyptic imagery that I've seen of him going through the day to day monotony after nature has reclaimed New York City and mm-hmm. and you know kind of how he sets up to, instead of going crazy he sets up like he finds the old stock footage of the news so he can at least put that on in the background so he doesn't feel isolated. And, right. And then you get to the end, and then there's a happy ending. It, it's that's the point of the book. It's not supposed to be a happy ending. Right. It's supposed to be miserable. It's supposed right. to kick you in the stomach, and it it misses the original spirit of the novel, which was disappointing. But like stuff like that, I don't, I don't necessarily think are remakes or reboots. They're just different adaptations of an existing source material. Yeah, I would argue that's a reboot though, because you're taking the source material and you're taking it in a different direction that's been done before. Right. Okay, but Semant- it, semant- semantics. semantics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, there's okay. A couple other things. I don't, anything else on reboots and remakes? That's kind of what I wanted to go over. I just I I, I I thought it was funny that they were poking fun at themselves and you know that Brody Bruce Jason Lee diatribes are always I always thought were really good. I like when someone I forget where we were the other night and he was like alright so what's your favorite movie of all time and I said Jaws and they're like oh really that's your favorite movie of all time I was like my son's name is Brody <laughs> and right. they just went laughing they were like well why do you spell it with an IE and then I smirked a little bit further and I was like well he's technically named after Brody Bruce from Mallrats who was named after Chief Brody from Jaws and they were just like holy crap you're a nerd I was like yeah <laughs> I, I know <laughs> I know I am alright all right, two two completely out of left field one connects back to tim burton which connects back to all this that we just talked about which was um have you watched or done anything with Masterclass? no i haven't touched it yet which is dude, what i'm think- i'm upset with like what do you want me to do steve like i i you can okay. do audio versions of it and like while you're driving you can listen oh to you like, can do like podcasts yeah there's a there's a switch you can flip between audio and video oh, okay um i started the danny elfman one that's the composer one? Yeah, the one who did every, you know, he basically got a start where, you know, he was Oingo Boingo. Um, <laughs> and, 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 but he was like a classical music geek. His brother did this 
was in this eclectic music and then Tim Burton knew him from Longo Bongo I was like hey I want you to compose it was his first film like he wants you to compose the the music to this film which was Pee Wee's Big Adventure right Hmm. and he he said like he's like I'm gonna screw it up I've never done this before and Tim Burton's like yeah you'll be fine and he Tim Burton sent him the cut and and like a, a rough cut or some footage and it was the opening scene where Pee Wee's on the bike you know, mm-hmm. just a long, drawn out, like, like, well, the, the the shot of him on the bike, and and it almost has like that circus music to it. Yep. And and Danny Elfman was like, it was the first time I ever watched something, and I thought of the music. And he went home and he and he did it, and he sent it in. And he didn't hear anything, and they came back, and and the, his agent was like, hey, they want you to do it, and he's like, I, I no, I'm not doing it. I can't mm-hmm. do it. I'm gonna screw up. I'm gonna screw up. I'm gonna screw up their movie. And the agent's like, fine, you tell him. <laughs> And, and it was, but it was more like, hey, I just worked a week getting you this gig, and and he he thought about it and thought about it. He's like, listen, it's on Tim. Like if I do a, like if I do a bad job, ultimately it's on him. He wants me to do it. I'm not gonna talk myself out of it. So he did it, and that's kind of what catapulted him into doing film scoring and and all that all that stuff. So. I thought that was pretty cool, but really, it, really interesting listening to him talk. I'm, I'm not very far into it. Um, what what other it? ones have you done? Um, I've done Neil Gaiman. Okay. I've gone all the way through that, but that's pretty good. That that's hard because he's so like he, you know, that's a lot of dialogue, and it's just he talks about story development and all that stuff. But it's it that, that's really good. And I did Dead Mouse. Okay. Electronic music. music. I'm about, I'm about yeah. yeah, I'm about halfway through that. He's com- he's completely different than the other folks. He's just like I try this shit. And does, some of it works, some of it does. Like it's a little bit different. Where um, so far, Danny Elfman, I, I think, is being very and, and and Neil Gaiman at the same time are being very. You know, they're trying to treat themselves like like true instructors. Um, whereas is Dead Mouse is being a little bit same same type of thing, but he's just trying to show you more ideas sure. just to plant seeds. Okay, so. Um, was the game in one good? See, it teaches the art of storytelling. I'm kind of curious. Like I was, I was thinking about doing the Andy Leibovitz one, just because that's on f- you know, photography. Mm-hmm. There's the Margaret Atwood one on creative writing. There's a lot. Yeah, there's so much out there. I mean, um, that they have Dan Brown teaches writing thrillers. Like, <laughs> I mean, um, it's good. I mean, you know, it's, the whole thing is they all have a similar message, which is, hey, there's there's no right or wrong way to do any of this stuff. Sure. I'm going to show you what worked for me, and that's what Neil Gaiman is like. You know, I this is where this story came from. This is where this story came from. Like, this is how I developed this. This is how I, you know, think of like, and he and he gives you techniques of how to kind of like think through like how to come up with takes like go watch a person in public and then take that and make a story about what you think they're about. It's completely it's, fiction. It's fiction, yeah. but you need like a jumping off point, which I thought was pretty cool. Do you, do you do you remember the movie called Wonder Boys with Michael Douglas and Tobey Maguire and Robert Downey yeah. Jr.? Uh, yeah, I don't know that I ever saw it, but I think I, I, uh, kinda, I, get, I, I so think I know what you're talking about. Robert Downey Jr. plays uh, Michael Douglas's agent. He's a literary agent. Michael Douglas is a writer. And so every time they go out to dinner, they get drunk and they play the game called What's the Story? And they pick somebody at the place, wherever they are, restaurant, bar, and they have to create this elaborate backstory based on just superficiality or just the way they're dressed or what they look like or how they're acting and anything. Every time we go out, Aaron and I do that. And she always yeah. laughs because I get these completely... I tend to go overboard. Like if there's like he's got a little bit of chalk on his shoulder, you know, he was a he was a competitive shot putter or a, or a hammer thrower, and, and he still does it in his spare time <laughs> and stuff. Right. And she just laughs. She goes, "Where do you come up with this stuff?" And I was like, "Just just the way my mind has always worked." So having these masters tell me how to kind of funnel that, like watching David Lynch talk about creativity in film, like that's kind of what I need. So yeah, I'm gonna have to start going through this. I didn't know you could do them as podcasts because I got to start. They just introduced that. You can do audio only. So and and I do mine okay. like when I'm at the gym, like on the stair machine. That's mm-hmm. why I've been doing that. I get a good forty. You can get a couple episodes in that way. I was gonna say I got my commute to work and back is usually pretty. Oh, dude, Werner Herzog teaches filmmaking. Yeah, I'm gonna listen to that just for his voice, man. <laughs> There's so much that. good stuff. Like you should take advantage of it. Side, it's another second side. Well, probably our eighth side tangent for this episode. Have you ever seen Teen Titans go to the movie? 
the Teen Titans right. Go movie. Yeah, go to the movies. No, but I heard it was good. I can't get the it, kids to watch it. I just don't don't. It doesn't matter, Steve. Watch it. Like watch it by yourself. You don't have to get the kids. It is hysterical. It is one of my favorite animated movies that I've seen recently. Brody and I like we we watched Teen Titans a little bit, and then I was like, it was on one day, and we put it on. Like the music's great. the The jokes are both adult jokes and and small jokes. Like it, it there's stuff that kids don't get, but like absolutely land for adults. Like Nicolas Cage voices. Superman. I'm pretty sure Werner Herzog voices this, the leader of the, I think it's the guard, not Guardians of the Galaxy, but like the Commanders of the Unknown. It's some kind of weird. <laughs> right. But like, I think he does the voice, or whoever did the voice basically is doing a Werner Herzog impersonation. Steve, it is great. And it'll get stuck at like some of the songs that you will get stuck in your head. Michael Bolton sings this song called, I think it's. It's uh, uh, up. I think the name of the song is it's it's an uplifting song about life, and it's all about uh, the montage in the movie where Robin's going through this growth as a person, and he sings about it's like a kick in the pants. <laughs> you need it. It's it, dude. We I've watched it twice in like the past like week. It's so good. So you know, right. highly highly recommend it. You don't need to watch it with kids, man. All like right. I don't feel I know it feels weird when you watch a cartoon without a child. No, but, but I mean, the, it's not like you're going. It's not like you're going to see it in a theater, and you're yeah. the only adult without a child next to you, and you're just That's leering true. at young kids. So, well, and they, you know, and our, and Meyer particularly really like Teen Titans Go. Um, Charlie's super immersed in Star Wars. I can't get him to do anything other than Star Wars right now, which is just okay. Um, last thing, this is me. This is another pitch. If you want to come out for uh, Emerald City Comic Con, um, so. On Saturday, they're having uh, well, Friday and Saturday. We have tickets for Saturday. The uh, a good chunk of the cast of uh, the boys. Nice. So, um, oh man, I like so what is the main what is the main character? The blonde guy. Um, uh, Guardian was that his name? No, I don't know. what the hell is his name? I are you talking about the the superhero dude, the blonde dude? Yeah. The, oh. Uh, I don't remember the yeah. commandant. I forget what his name is. Yeah, um, whatever. Like, but the, the Captain America guy. So he's going to be there. Um, the the redhead that was the like girl, the Wonder Woman, the Wonder yeah. Woman analogy. Yeah, yeah, the guy who's the really fast guy. The yeah, ran through the uh, guy. A train. Yeah, A train. Carl Urban. Homelander. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Carl yeah. Urban's going to be there, and then um, they just announced that the uh, the girl, the, the 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 one that became like the newest one, the blonde, the younger, the girl that looks like uh, Kat Mara or Kate Mara. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Moriarty. Yeah. That that they're all going to be at Emerald City Comic Con. Nice. Uh, I dude, it's like literally like a month after we spent. <laughs> Eight grand in Disney or whatever it is, so I, I don't know if I'll be able to swing it this year. But yeah. I don't know. They're they're talking about the the next season is going to be absolutely crazier than the first. So I'm 100 percent on board for that. Yeah, like no. I said, like that's not that show's not for everybody. No. You know what I mean? Like that is no. that is a dark that is a dark very dark. So that's not for everybody, but good. Like, screw everybody else that doesn't like. I don't need my superheroes to be bloody. Well, you're stupid then. <laughs> the uh the the last thing as we wrap up here um and i don't know if you saw it this week but i saw that they 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 stopped filming the um obi-wan kenobi disney yeah, Plus why show. why um, uh they're i don't say they're rebooting it but um i think they're gonna rewrite it and they down mm-hmm. they 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 took it down from i think six episodes down to four Yes. But they sent everybody home, and I think they're going to bring in. I don't know if they're bringing in a new showrunner or whatever. I'm guessing what happened is like the dailies or whatever didn't come out great. They just weren't happy with it. They just said, "All right, well, we'll send you guys home. We're gonna we're gonna fix some things. And we'll bring you back." So, oh, get it right That's instead of just instead of just rushing it out. Get it right. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I'd rather have them get it right and take some time than rush it out and not be as good as the Mandalorian. 
Like yep. Mandalorian was so good that anything that doesn't at least equal that in quality is going to feel like such a letdown. So I'm okay with it. I There's so that, much other. I think that's probably part of it too, right? It's the same thing we talked about, right? We've got all these new characters. We've got all this new stuff. We don't have to worry about how it's going to tie in and all yeah. this other stuff. It's just a, a new and and the Kenobi thing is still in that is still in the Skywalker arc. Yeah, you know? I agree. So, like, if they want to completely shelve it and just start something else, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm all right with that. There's the rumors that uh, Rosario Dawson really wants to really play that Oshaka, the girl from uh, Rebels and Clone Wars, the the Jedi with like the big dreadlocks and stuff. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Sh- she's perfect. She looks just like the the cartoon version of her. So like, there there's an active campaign online to get her to play her. So nice. I'd rather have I'd rather have that story than the Ben Kenobi story. Like I don't need to visit that universe anymore. Give yep. me a different time frame with different characters. I don't need the follow the fall of the empire or the rise of the empire or any of that stuff again. Like, just close that chapter. It's so the galaxy is a gigantic place, and there's been thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history in the Star Wars universe. So don't mind the same thing over and over again. Right. Right. So I'm all right with it. Get it right. You know what I mean. Get it right rather than just get it done. But, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm bummed that we're gonna have to wait, but I'd rather, to your point, rather than get it right. I'd rather be deal with four episodes. I'm still stinging from the whole they're not doing another season of Mindhunter. Yeah, like, that'll happen. I do. Like I, I don't know if you watched the Good Place, the one with uh, Ted Danson. Yeah, and we Chris only watched it through season two, I think. Well, the Michael Sure, the guy that created it, like they're ending it. I think the the season or the series finale is like this week mm-hmm. or was last week. Like yep. he even told everybody, he was like, "Look, I only wrote the story to be whatever it is, four seasons or five seasons." And I respect the hell out of because it's getting good ratings. It's one of the most popular NBC shows, mm-hmm. and it's brilliantly written and it's really, really smart and really, really funny. And they probably could have milked a few more seasons out of the end of it, but he was just like, "No," he was like, "This is the arc that I always set forth at the beginning of it," and he was like, "I'm not." I'm not cheapening it by milking some more dollars out of it. Right. And I'm okay with that. Like that's that's a strong creative choice that I respect. So good, good for him. Yep. And you should you should watch it. Yeah, we like I said we started and stopped. We started and stopped a lot of stuff, but that that one is we got you know. And I, I, I recommend. Two. I asked you off air. Start. I know you don't have HBO, but find somewhere you can watch The Outsider. It's so good. Yeah, it's based on. Uh, well, I was thinking about getting HBO back just temporarily to do Secession. I heard that was good. yeah, really good. I watched the first few episodes of that. That's going to be my new show that I'm binging. But The Outsider is based off a Stephen King book mm. about, and the first two episodes were directed by Jason Bateman. He starred in the first couple with Ben Mendelsohn. And did you ever see Bad Times at the El Royale? The one with the no. the there's a hotel that borders that lies on the border between Nevada and California, and like all these people end up there in the middle of a storm, and it turns out they all have secrets. It was written by Christopher, written directed by Drew Goddard, the guy that did Cabin in the Woods. So it does the same thing to like the heist thriller that he did with Cabin in the Woods to like horror movies. So like each of them show up with their own agenda and it, it it's it's really good. But there's a girl named Cynthia Ervo that was in it. She's the she just played Harriet Tubman in the new Harriet Tubman movie that came out. She plays this character named Holly Gibney. Now Holly Gibney's she's a recurring character in a couple Stephen King books. She was in Mr. Mercedes and and The Outsider and she is like a O C D socially anxious, but she's really good private investigator. And she just showed up in episode three, and it it made an already good show really, really good. And it just started taking a turn for the super bizarre. And, like, the first two episodes are, like, more of, like, a procedural. It's about a small boy or a boy that gets murdered in a small town, and they accuse Jason Bateman of doing it. And they have proof that he did it. Like, they have fingerprints and stuff in the van that the, the body was transported in, and then... I'm not giving this is the whole the first episode evidence comes out that he was also 75 miles away at a teacher's convention at the same time like on film like recorded like oh, giving wow. an interview and so it's Ben Mendelsohn plays the lead the lead detective for the, the the police department 
investigating this whole thing. And he was like, I can't. There's no way that this physically can be possible for him to be two places at the same time. So they bring this Holly Gibney character in because she's the best at what she does. And she finally like, hey, there might be something otherworldly going on. And now it's starting to delve into... It's a Stephen King book, man. Like, of course, it's going to be weird. It's going <laughs> right. to be weird as hell. But it is... It's really, really good. And Ben Mendelsohn is the man. So I'd watch anything with him in. So I recommend it. All right. Well, anything else? Nope. That was it. Considering we said we were going to do a short episode, and now it's an hour and three yeah, minutes later. That's where that's where we roll. All right. That's right. Well, you can you can follow us. Uh, you can follow the podcast, and this would be Steve's account at Match Wits uh, or Chris at Acquired uh, Acquired Wit. Yep. And uh, I sent you something on Twitter. You never responded, so I'm guessing you weren't interested in the uh, uh, Airwolf. <laughs> well, no, that your, that... Was, wasn't that your jam back in the day? Yeah. That was my jam, but like I don't know how you want to be respond to that. Like, yeah, Jan Michael Vincent was a hunk. Like, what do you want me to say about it? <laughs> like, but didn't that come out? Didn't um, your boy Adam from the Goldbergs? Isn't that? Didn't I retweet his post? No, no. old school eighties. Sorry, I think I, I think I probably saw it on Adam's account, and then I just sent it to you. But maybe. But yeah, apparently, I, when you sent that to me, it actually sent me down a airwolf rabbit hole. That apparently he was so hopped up on drugs and alcohol that whole show that he doesn't remember filming it like that j, j. <laughs> michael j michael yeah, he yeah. was like apparently he was like the it dude in hollywood at the time and like airwolf was doing really well on television that he ended up becoming like a, a, like addicted to prescription opiates and oh, alcohol yeah. and, and went stuff down, his career went down the hill he started looking like shit yes he did but no that was my jam but like of all the shows that i would talk about my jam and like lower on my list of my jam shows, I guess. <laughs> I just remember growing up that that was like your Airwolf was like you. You were. Passionate. I wanted to be a. I wanted to be a pilot. He wanted to be John Michael Vincent. Yeah, I wanted to be addicted to opioids and, <laughs> and, <fly laughs> and, and, and raging alcoholic. Well, yeah, and then I realized my nerves are terrible and I'm blind as hell without glasses, which kind of limits your ability to be a pilot. So pretty much. Yeah. Okay, and with that, Chris, why don't you take us out? I bid you adieu. Later. Say it.